What are the essential ingredients needed to have a healthy local church? <clears throat> if, if, if I were to ask you just to write out a few of the things that come to your mind, I wonder what you would include. Maybe I will ask you. If you're a note taker, you have some, just what are the, the first few things that come to your mind? What is needed to have a healthy local church? All right, so that's enough time. Uh, I wonder in how many lists that were compiled in this room or would be compiled in this room, I wonder how many of us would have biblically qualified deacons on that list. And if so, I also wonder how many less important things would have been listed above biblically qualified deacons. Certainly, deacons wouldn't be atop of that list, but why are biblically qualified deacons so often and so easily overlooked? As we think about what marks a healthy local church. Why is it that biblically qualified deacons are seen more as an accessory instead of a necessity? I wonder this morning how your experience with deacons, either positive or negative, I wonder how that's caused you to lose sight of God's good design for them. I wonder this morning how our views about this biblical office. And here's the thing. There are only two biblical offices for the church. Elders and deacons. And I wonder this morning how our understanding and view of this office of deacon needs to grow. And while I'm unsure of how your view of deacons need to grow... I am confident that God desires to grow our views this morning through this passage. <clears throat> Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's writing to remind Timothy, who is pastoring in Ephesus, on how God's people ought to conduct themselves in the household of faith. This is what we'll see next week, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, sort of the the summary verse of this letter. How ought God's people conduct themselves in the household of faith and even as the household of faith? That's to inform how they are when they scatter and also how they are when they gather. And he opens the letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, with the presenting issue of false teachers. And he exhorts Timothy to address this problem. And he says, address it for the sake of love that proceeds from a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith. That leads Paul then to just recount his conversion and to celebrate the gospel of God, that Jesus Christ would come and would save the worst of sinners among whom Paul is the foremost. 
And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul begins the discussion on what it looks like when the church is gathered. How ought the church conduct themselves when they are together? He speaks of the church's relationship to the wider society, urging Christians to pray for the authorities, to live peaceable and quiet lives that they may seek the good of the society and the salvation of all people. And then Paul addresses the internal ordering of the church whenever she gathers for worship. First Timothy chapter 2. Let the men pray. Let the women do good works. Let the women learn. And let the qualified men teach and exercise authority. And last week we saw what a man must be if he is going to be a pastor, an elder. If he's going to be one who gives spiritual oversight to God's church through the teaching of God's word. And so this morning we will consider the other office, the office of deacon. My hope this morning is that this passage will help answer four questions to give us an understanding about the office of deacon. And then I believe this passage will lead us to a fitting challenge at the end. So my goal is to allow the Bible, this passage, to answer four questions about deacons and then to challenge us in the end. And so before we go to the word, let's go to the God of it, asking him to bless our time in it. Let's pray. Our holy God, this is your word. This is your inspired, breathed out by you word. It's without error. It's true in everything that it affirms. It is to be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. It shows us the way of salvation, which is found by faith alone in Christ alone. Your word shows us how to live. It doesn't merely show us how to live as individual Christians. It shows us how we are to live together in local congregations. And so as we consider this morning what your word says about deacons, I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. I pray that we would believe your word. I pray that we would act upon your word. I pray that we would have our hearts and minds instructed by your word. I pray that you would give us all a heart to serve and that you would help this church identify those who are exemplary in their service. And I pray that you would use this passage to allow us to, to see how faithful service, we can't even talk about being a faithful servant without our eyes and our hearts anticipating how that gets us to Christ. And so help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to open them to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, it would be our, it'd be our joy to give you a Bible as your own. And so on your way going out at the information table, if you would stop by, uh, it's not embarrassing to say I don't have a Bible. It would be, it's good to have one. And we would love to put one in your hands. 
and if you don't have one this morning, feel free to use any of the ones in front of you. If you pick up the New American Standard, which is what I will be preaching out of this morning, uh, you can find that on the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament's in the back half on page 163. 163. The large number three, that would be the chapter. The smaller numbers, 8 through 13, those would be the verses where we'll be spending our time this morning. And so... Four questions we hope to have answered, beginning with number one. What is a deacon? What is a deacon? The New Testament doesn't say much about the office of deacon. Uh, The word comes from a Greek word, which has several meanings. It can mean a servant. We see this in John chapter 2, verse 9. The word can be referring to a ministry of service. We see this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Or it can refer to an official office of service. We see this here. We also, if you were to flip over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is making clear who he's writing to. He's writing to the church. He's also writing to the elders and the deacons, this formal office of service. And so each of, like, kind of what is a deacon? Well, what does the word mean? It always revolves around service. And it literally means to be a table waiter, one who is willing to serve. And if you remember what we said last week about David Platt's brief description, which I think are helpful, elders are servant leaders, and deacons are leading servants. Elders are servant leaders, and deacons are leading servants. Now, when we talk about what is a deacon, at one sense, the New Testament makes clear that every Christian ought to serve. And so at some measure, each one of us, we are, we are to be deaconing. We are to be doing the work of a servant. We are to be serving one another. And so we talk about the office of deacon. It doesn't mean just anyone who serves. That would be all of us. But deacons are those who lead the church in service. Deacons are those who are exemplary in their service. Deacons are those who uh, don't serve begrudgingly. Deacons are those who don't kind of hide out from service opportunities. Deacons are those that are running forth to say, I want to serve others. I see needs and I desire to meet them. And they don't grow weary in the good that they are doing. Twice in our passage, uh, we can see this idea of service. If you look in verse 10, these men must first be tested and then let them serve as deacons. Look at verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons. And one of the higher moments of kind of the high points of my life uh, in high school, I served as the president of the Spanish club. Uh, safe to say that the club floundered under my leadership. Um, the highlight of my tenure as president was the, the outing that we took to the local Mexican restaurant. Um, but did you hear what I said? I served as president of 
the Spanish club. Do you know what that phrase means? That phrase means that I had the authority and the responsibility, but I didn't do any service. When Paul talks about serving, he's not talking about those who have authority and responsibility, but they never really go low and exercise service. No, Paul, the Bible, says that the authority and the responsibility that deacons have lies in their service. And so we say we've served in many capacities, and oftentimes we've not served anyone. So that's not what Paul's talking about. That isn't what the New Testament is talking about when it's talking about serving. And so what that means is that you may have godly, encouraging, sweet, helpful members of a church, but if they do not serve in exemplary manners, they are not deacons. Perhaps Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, will help us sort of see this most clearly. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, this is what the word of the Lord says. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, the twelve apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles after praying, and they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And so it would be helpful for us to understand Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It provides us with the paradigm for how deacons ought to uh, be serving. And while it provides us with a paradigm, it never once talks about the office of deacon. And so I want to be clear. And what's happening in Acts chapter 6 is that there are poor widows that were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Greek-speaking Jewish converts who had been born again were a part of a church that was full of Hebrew-speaking Christians. And the problem with this Uh, In this very young church where the gospel was supposed to bring people together in unity, there began to be some ethnic disunity. At this point in uh, in the scope of church history and salvation history, the apostles were still uh, overseeing the church in Jerusalem. They didn't want to see anyone overlooked. They didn't want to see the unity of the church disrupted. And so what do they do? They double down on being committed to the ministries of prayer and the ministries of the word. 
And they don't double down to those ministries and just say, we don't care about those that are going hungry. No, they called for the church to select seven men to bring unity and order to the church. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, is perhaps one of the more significant verses in this story because it tells us what happens whenever uh, those that are committed to teaching and oversight commit themselves to word and prayer and those that are willing and committed to serve busy themselves with meeting needs. Listen again, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. What's the result of these deacons beginning to be put in place and minister and care? And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The word increased. The disciples multiplied. The work flourished. And this is the blueprint. I I think it's vital that we don't reduce deacons to some second-class group of leaders that really just are elder rejects. Like They're not good enough to be an elder, so they have to be a deacon. No, these offices are different, but they're not different in their value. They're different in their function. I, mean, I think we could say, say the same thing about a marriage. Husband, wife, husband, wife role... Uh, It's not that one is better or superior. They're different. Both are needed to complement one another. Elders, deacons, both are needed for the church to be healthy. And so think of elders and deacons not as as some tiered structure of importance, but as complementary services that are meant to encourage and build on one another. And don't miss what is to mark deacons based on Acts chapter 6. One of their greatest contributions to the church was to ensure and to maintain unity in the body. Unity in the body. Many pastors liken this aspect of deacon ministry to being shock absorbers. Right? You've all been in a car with no shocks. And if you haven't, uh, come find me. We've got a few people in the church that have one of those cars and they'll take you out. And you literally just bounce all over the place along your merry way. And it's a bumpy ride. It's not a smooth ride. And in the same way, deacons are to serve in churches as, as shock absorbers, muffling the shock waves that could harm the church. Deacons shouldn't be the place where shock waves are reverberating once they hit a deacon. No, deacons ought to be muffling that. In his book, Deacons, uh, which, which if you are just looking for an accessible, easy read to understand more about deacons, uh, the book that we have in our bookstall on deacons by Matt Smethurst is, is an excellent resource. This is what he says. Quarrelsome people make, poor, make for poor deacons because they only compound the kind of headaches that deacons are meant to relieve. Deacons must be the people with which gossip and criticism, once it hits them, it dies. 
And so as we think about our deacons, if, if the deacons of this church are those in which gossip and criticism continues to live and it just sort of reverberates from them and once criticism and gossip hits them, it doesn't die, then the Bible would tell us that is not a deacon that's doing their job of maintaining the unity of the body. And so you may have someone who's gifted in an area. But if gossip, criticisms, if they don't die with our deacons, they're not qualified to serve. Deacons are leading servants who model exemplary, consistent service that absorb shocks for the sake of the unity of the church. And they solve problems that presents themselves to the church for the sake of the advance of the gospel. That's what a deacon is. Well, it leads us to our second question. Who can be a deacon? So if that's what a deacon does, then who can be a deacon? Well, Paul spells this answer out in verses 8 through 12. Verses 8 through 12, just listen again. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are above reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. Much like the elder, elder qualifications that we saw last week in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, were given qualifications for those who may serve as a deacon in 8 through 12. And what we'll find is that this list is pretty similar to the list of qualifications for an elder. Uh, the biggest difference would be that there's not the requirement, there's not the qualification of able to teach. Now, that clearly doesn't mean that deacons won't teach or that they can't teach. Our church has been served as we've had deacons in the past teach in CLI. We've had deacons in the past preach and serve our body well. But it's not a requirement in the same way as it is for elders. And we also find that this list, much like last week's list, is full of characteristics that really ought to mark any Christian. And so it's not just Right, this is not elders and deacons aren't the superhero category. No, elders and deacons are the just faithful category. Which is why we said last week that it ought to be the aspiration of every man in this room to have a life that's consistent with the qualifications of an elder. And so even as we walk through these qualifications this morning. I pray that we would allow the Spirit to use this list to search out our own hearts, men and women, so that we would grow more into the likeness of Christ. And again, I think it's noteworthy in this list, there's, there's an absence of what it is that deacons do, right? So you would come to the qualification list, or you come to the place and the New Testament, where this is the clearest teaching, and you're thinking, okay, they're going to give us a list of everything that the deacons are to be doing. And I see, in one sense, God's grace in not giving us that because the needs of the church are different, and they change. Deacons are those who are willing to step forth and serve to meet whatever need. 
But I also think it's something to do with the fact that the Lord desires character over giftedness. And that's what we've seen over the last two weeks. When we think about leadership, there is this crazy temptation to let's throw everything and all of our energies and all of our time and all of our, let's throw all of it into our giftings. While many times, sadly, at the neglect of our character. And the Lord just makes clear in and through his word that his church will not look like the world in that way. His church will be marked by men who serve as elders and men and women. I'm going ahead and showing my cards. Who serve, serve as deacons, uh, who are men and women of great godly character. So, who can be a deacon? Well, three categories that he looks to uh, men whose personal lives are exemplary, men whose spiritual lives are exemplary, and men whose family lives are exemplary. So let's just consider each of those three. Men whose personal lives are exemplary. We see this in verse 8. Men of dignity. Men who are well respected because of the privileged sense that they have about the opportunities to serve others. Deacons are those who have a good reputation. Deacons are those who carry themselves not with the status of, I'm better than you because I am a deacon, but who really relish in the fact that they get to serve as a deacon. They're well-respected. They're dignified. Men who carry respect that you would want to represent your church to the watching world. I wonder this morning if you could answer with integrity, does that sound like you? Are you respectable in that way? Is your life worth imitating, particularly how you serve other people? But not just men who are dignified, well-respected, but also men who are not double-tongued, men who are sincere in what they say. Deacons should be men who don't say one thing on one day and then change their tune on another day. They shouldn't be men who say one thing to one group of people and then come and find themselves in another group of people and they're saying something different, right? You want them to be men of integrity, men who, when they speak, they say what they mean and they mean what they say. They keep their word. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have had deacons who reached out to the widows in Acts chapter 6 and said, yeah, we'll be there, and they never showed up? He's to be deacons are to be men of integrity. What he says matches what he does. Wonder this morning, can you say that? Do your actions match your words? Are you consistent? Are you sincere? But not just dignified and not double-tongued, but also deacons are those who are not addicted to much wine. Now, it's not to say that a deacon may not have a drink at any point in his life, but deacons are not known for drinking. 
And deacons never pass the, the bounds of sobriety. Do you know why? Because deacons are those who can control their own appetites. They don't allow their passions to get the best of them. They've learned not to run to alcohol to take the edge off. No, in fact, they run to Christ and they take refuge in Christ. I wonder this morning if you can say that you are in control of your appetites. Uh, Maybe this morning, I wonder how you would answer the question, do you drink too much? It is not honoring to the Lord, and it is not edifying to the church if you do. But not only are deacons to be dignified in their personal lives and not double-tongued in their personal lives and not addicted to much wine in their personal lives, but they also are not to be fond of dishonest gain, sordid gain. Deacons aren't cheats. Deacons aren't trying to hustle you to make a dollar. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, this is what we read, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. This is why deacons can't be lovers of money. No, deacons ought to be people that are marked by great contentment with what God has given them. And that restrains them from trying to find ways to get more money, particularly through dishonest means. Deacons serve others not to seek to gain off of them. This morning, are you greedy for dishonest gain? Are you content? with what God's provision for you is? Well, that's the personal lives, but deacons are also to be exemplary in their spiritual lives, verses 9 and 10. But they hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and these men must first be tested. Deacons are to be men who hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 9 means deacons ought to be those men who hold deep truths, And somewhere along the way, I I, I think we've sort of said deacons don't have to be those that are really deep theologically. Those are the elders and the deacons. It really doesn't matter what they believe as long as they're willing to do work. (laughs) And that's not at all what the Bible says. In fact, Paul says, no, no, if you're going to be a healthy church, your leaders, both elders and deacons, must be men of sound doctrine. Deacons have to hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Mystery there isn't something that can't be figured out. It's something that's been hidden, but now in Christ has been revealed. Deacons hold to the faith. This is what Paul means when he says, even with a clear conscience. Deacons aren't those who waver in doubting as to whether or not the gospel is good or it's enough. Deacons keep a tight grip on sound doctrine. Deacons are those who serve rightly because they are moved deeply by the beliefs that they hold. You you know who deacons are because they're those who serve well 
And if you keep digging into the soil of that service, what you find is a robust love and belief in the Bible. Are you sound in your doctrine? Do you read and study and apply to grow in the faith? I mean, is the gospel precious to you? If you get tired of hearing how Christ has served you, then I assume that you're going to grow tired of serving others. But deacons are also to be tested. Tested. Meaning that there there ought not be any doubt in the minds of the church as to whether or not they can be trusted to stand up under trial. there's something that would disqualify this man from serving, we want to know. But not only are deacons to be men who, whose personal lives are exemplary and whose spiritual lives are exemplary, but lastly, whose family lives are exemplary. Verse 12. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and of their household and their own households. Husband of one wife manages household well. We'll just point you back to the conclusions that we drew last week about the qualification for elders. The home is the preparation ground for serving the church at large. And so elders and deacons, it's the responsibility of the church to peer into what the home life looks like. That's not invasive. That's not going too far. That's being wise and prudent and biblical. It's this picture of leadership that's combined with nurture. Again, a one-woman man who is devoted only to his wife. And so there's no room for sexual immorality. There's not even a hint. And this extends to each of his children individually. He loves and cares for his family. He's an example for how to lead and love a family. And like last week... I don't believe this is, I don't believe Paul is saying that singles can't be deacons or those that are married but only have one child instead of multiple because children is in the plural. It applies to married men. They must be this type of men. Their homes must be this type of home. It applies to single men. Their home life must be marked with purity, it must be well ordered. By God's grace, covenant life has been served by having strong deacons for years. Deacons are God's plan for us to know what it looks like to be exemplary in service to him and to others. Well, what about verse 11? Right? So you have personal and spiritual and family life. And that's broken up by verse 11. Some translations don't read the way that the NAS reads. The NAS says, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Perhaps your translation says, Their wives must likewise be dignified. And so do these qualifications, are they really speaking to just deacons' wives or women in general? 
what would serve us well to remember 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Deacons do neither of those things. The function of a deacon is not to teach or exercise authority over men. And so can women serve as deacons? And there's more ink that has been spilled on this than you would care to even know. But essentially, it's come down to three kind of camps, three options for how you understand verse 11. The first is that it's referring to deacons' wives. The second is that it's referring to women, qualified women who can serve as deacons. And then the third is that it's referring uh, not to deacons' wives and not to women, but to women who assist deacons. Many churches would call these deaconesses in some way. Well, uh, I would love to have a conversation with you in detail about why, any particulars. I understand, and Covenant Life has taken the position that verse 11 is referring to, to women, qualified women at large. If I could just tell you four reasons that briefly why I believe this is the, the best understanding of this passage. Paul begins, he begins verse 11 in the same way that he begins verse 1 and in the same way that he begins verse 8. Verse 1, he introduces elders. Verse 8, he introduces deacons. And in verse 11, he introduces another category. The, the, the likewise there is repeated in verse 1, in verse 8, in verse 11. And so I understand that not to be elaborating on deacons or their wives, but to be setting out yet another category for uh, addressing elders, addressing men deacon, addressing women deacon. Uh, number two, in the translations that read, their wives must likewise be dignified, the there is not in the Greek. And so it literally would just read either wives or women. And so translators have put the there in there because context would mean that it's referring to that. But the there is not in the original. And I think instead of wives, it's a better reading to understand that to be speaking about women. I also think even uh, on this vein is that it seems uh, odd at best and consistent to only address the wives of deacons and not address the ministry of the wives of elders. And so it seems to me that uh, the wives of both elders and deacons would have a role to play. Uh, and so it's... It, I'm not convinced that this is that he only addresses deacons' wives and doesn't address elders' wives. Uh, number three is that we see Paul referring to women throughout uh, at certain parts of the New Testament as deacons, most notably Romans chapter 16. This is what he calls Phoebe, who is serve, serving as a deacon in the church. And then lastly, uh, deacons don't do anything that's prohibited in 1 Timothy 2.12. Uh, so I understand that women can serve here. Biblically qualified women can serve here. 
And those qualifications, look at them in verse 11. They must be dignified. These women who are serving as deacons must be worthy of respect. They are to be sober-minded and respectable women. They're not to be malicious gossips. Women that are serving as deacons ought not be known as slanderers. The word there literally is the word from Diablos, which is the word for devil. These women don't speak like our enemy who seeks to cause division and disunity. No, their speech doesn't represent the enemy, but represents Christ. They are to be temperate. They are to be self-controlled. They are to be able to bridle their tongue. And they are to be faithful. They are to be trustworthy in all they do. Her yes is her yes. What she says is what she does. They ought to be the kind of women that we can count on. That leads us to question number three. Why serve as a deacon? Verse 13, I believe, gives us a really compelling answer. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Who in the world wants to wait tables? Who in the world wants to get involved in the messiness of the church? Uh, we often think that like waiting tables is the job that we have to do in between like college and my real job. And I realize if some of you are waiters, this is awkward, but <laughs> I was a waiter. But service in the church is not like merely serving to buy time between jobs. Service in the church brings great reward. It brings an excellent standing and a great assurance in the faith. It brings an excellent standing. Though, though we may never put deacons up on pedestals and just clap and, and yay, yay, Ra, you're doing great. The Lord honors those who go low in service to others. Jesus teaches us that the way up is down. And those who serve are given a place of honor. He taught us that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Why in the world serve as a deacon? Because deacons embody the humility and the character of Christ. What better thing to be said about you than you serve in Christ-like ways? But they also gain great assurance when they serve well. They're given a boldness and a confidence and a certainty of their salvation. As the deacon cares for the church, God cares for the deacon's soul by giving him a confidence of their place with him. And the work itself that the deacon is doing becomes a testimony to the deacon's conscience of the nature of their faith. Deacons are those who, who are able to sing the sweet lyrics. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Deacons gain great assurance in their faith in Christ. This is a promise. It's not, ah, they may, no, 
the Lord will graciously attend to their assurance in and through their willingness to serve. It's interesting that how when we give ourselves more to serving, we find ourselves, we find that our faith grows more. The more we serve, the more our faith grows. And it should be that way because that's the way of Jesus. I mean, you and I read through this list yet again, and I don't know if there's anyone in here who would stand up confidently and say, man, I nailed this list. Like, I'm so glad I showed up today because you gave me a clear description of me. No, we read this, and we're again embarrassed at the fact of just how much we fall short. And then we begin to think, who in the world in this room can serve this way? Like, if we found the deacon that looked like this, we would all be saying, yes, I will gladly submit to their service. I will gladly encourage them in their service. And we begin to think, there's no one who does this. And the good news this morning is that there has been one who's done this. Jesus the Christ. Do you remember what Jesus says Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to use his power to take from others. He came to sacrificially give to others. And he would give all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most pressing question this morning in this sermon is not, are you ready to be a deacon? The most pressing question this morning is, have you allowed the work of Christ to serve you, to address your greatest need? I mean, again, we just go through the list and we begin to talk about how much we fail. And we may make ourselves feel better because we're not as bad as other people in this room. But when we stand up against the holy God who's requiring perfection, this is a problem that we fail. There's nothing that we can do. Which means that we deserve then every bit of righteous wrath that God would pour out on people that do not submit to the only one who's worthy. And the Bible says that's what we will get unless something happens and someone can do something for us that we could never do. If someone could just be perfection and allow that perfection to cover us, and if someone would just take my sin and the punishment that I deserve, if I could be placed on someone else, and the good news of the Christian faith is that that's what Christ has done. He didn't come just to, to serve by saving us from certain sins. No, he came to save us from ourselves, the sin nature that we are, are in bondage to. That's what he came to, to save us from. And this is what I know. You will not be able to meet these qualifications until you first understand how Jesus has met them for you. You will not be dignified until you know how much Christ was despised on your behalf. You will not be self-controlled until you know just how much Jesus is in control. You will not be able to free yourself from the love of money until you understand that when you have Christ, you have everything. 
You will not be able to be blameless until you know that you have been declared righteous in Christ. You will not stop gossiping until you know that you are infinitely loved by Christ. You will not be able to be faithful in all things until you know just how faithful he is in all things and how he's given everything for your unfaithfulness. You will not be able to stop gossiping until you know that you've been. I just said that. You will not be able to be a one-woman man until you know just how much Christ has loved and pursued you. And you will not be able to be a family man until you know just how much Christ loves his family. Christ served. Christ deaconed you by coming and living the life that you couldn't and dying the death that you should have. And Christ deaconed you by rising, raising from the dead on the third day. And he deacons you by loving and embracing and inviting you into his family. And you can get in on that if you will deacon yourself, if you will go low and turn your back on everything that you think can make you right. Throw it all away and say, it's only faith in Christ alone. It would be our joy to talk to you about what that looks like even further. And so I pray that you would respond to this good news. Don't leave here. Don't kind of go and sit on it and stuff it and just, I know I'm not right with God, but I, I've got time. You don't know when your last will be. Number four, how do elders and deacons work together? Acts 6 provides this biblical precedent of what it looks like for elders and deacons to work together. In the book, Deacons, Matt Smethurst puts it this way, deacons are to spot and meet tangible needs, much like a lineman does protecting the quarterback from being sacked by practical demands. He says a church with distracted pastors and derailed mission is a church without effective deacons. A church with Distracted pastors and derailed mission is a church without effective deacons. Deacons support, uh, deacons protect and promote the unity of the church. Deacons serve and support the ministry of the elders. Deacons support and serve and carry out the ministry of the elders. Deacons joyfully serve the elders. Not because the elders are ultimate, but because Christ is ultimate. And Christ has so ordered and designed the church to function in this way. Alexander Strzok says, Deacons are not a separate, autonomous body of leaders that's disconnected from the elders. And everything that the elders do has to run by the deacons, and the deacons have to run by the elders. Deacons operate under the leadership of the elders, and they carry out tasks that would ensure that the elders are able to continue the ministries of word and prayer. Deacons are to provide seamless ministry support for the direction that the elders set forth for the church. Jamie Dunlop summarizes it this way. Elders lead ministry. Deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. Elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. And that leaves us with the challenge, number five. 
Last week, I asked the men of Covenant Life to accept the challenge to be 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7 kind of men. And I know that some of you brothers were going, listen, I'm just not a teacher. Right? So like I, the teaching thing, kind of, uh, you, uh, you had me on, I need to be a little bit more X, Y, but teaching, I'm not going to do that. Well, if not an elder, brothers, aspire to be deacons. Aspire to be deacons. Be shock absorbers for the church so that the word can be multiplied and more disciples be made. And as we stare into the mirror of God's word, I'm praying that our reflection becomes more and more resembling to, to this, that who we see, we are becoming men whose characters are exemplary. I mean, this is what the word of God would call us to. And men, if you're looking for a lady to marry, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and hold up this list and don't settle. And ladies, if you're looking for a man to marry, hold, go to 1 Timothy 3, look up, hold up this list and don't settle. And churches, we're thinking about who's going to give leadership to the church in the days ahead. Go to 1 Timothy 3, hold up this list and let's not settle. I'm so thankful for the ways in which Covenant Life has gone about ensuring that faithfulness marks the character of men and women that are serving in the offices so prescribed by the Lord. And so Covenant Life, if I can just leave you with this, would you pray for more servants? Pray that this church would be littered with men and women whose character matches that of biblically qualified deacons. We need men and women to serve in practical areas and in ministries in the church. And you say, well, how would, how would I ever become one of these deacons? Can I just, it begins with you serving faithfully without the title. And if you will serve faithfully without the title, it then becomes the joy of the church to go, let's go ahead and publicly recognize what we all have, have been experiencing from this man or this woman. That's the privilege of the church. The church's responsibility isn't to sort of base and guess, is there potential there? Well, let's give him the title and see if he grows or see if she grows into a deacon. No. You deacon and then give the church the joyful privilege of publicly acknowledging what everyone has been experiencing. Serve well in every opportunity that you can. There aren't many more things that will give you the opportunity to become more like Jesus than serving. And if you're here and you're just like, listen, I don't like to serve, can I just caution you? Beware. That is a dangerous spiritual condition. As others are serving faithfully, Covenant Life Church, it's your responsibility to nominate. Like, nominate. I mean, this is what we see in Acts 6. Let's look among the body, and who is it? And who are we going to put forth to become deacons and serve in this way? And so as, as, just as a church member, if you are not regularly thinking about, are there men in the church who can serve as elders that are already eldering in some ways? And I feel like they would be a great gift and have been a great gift from the Lord to lead our church. If you're not looking for elders, if you're not looking for men and women who are exemplary in their service and who could serve covenant life by serving, I would just encourage you, you are not being faithful to what you've been entrusted to do. 
It doesn't mean that you have to nominate someone every week, but every member of this church ought to be thinking regularly and praying regularly for those in this church who would lead. And all of our church, we should respect our deacons. Covenant Life, do not overlook the deacons who serve you so well. They serve you oftentimes without recognition, without pay. It is no small thing to serve as a deacon. The key to the joy in the Christian life is not found in more introspection. It's found in more service to others. And so I pray that Covenant Life would never fall into the trap of valuing our elders more than our deacons. As though our elders are really important and deacons, yeah, they don't really matter. No, 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 no. We need more biblically qualified deacons. And so I want to say thank you to our deacons. And I pray that as you think about what, is, what are the essential ingredients of having a healthy local church, I pray that biblically qualified deacons wouldn't be so far down the list. And we as a church would embrace our responsibility to see them held in their right place. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you so love your church and the world that you gave Christ. And we thank you that you so love your church and the world that you gave to the church a right ordering. I am so thankful for the ways in which you have cared for covenant life through faithful elders and deacons. And I pray that we would all aspire to having the character qualities of those that are biblically qualified. And we want to say thank you that Christ has come to serve us in the most foundational and yet the most important of ways. And so would you help us be more like Christ? In this moment of silence, would you, by your spirit, just bring to mind places that we need to grow, where we need to turn from, and how we need to walk in faith, we pray in Christ's name.